Hello, I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And I'm Dr. Akiva Daum. And, and welcome, welcome to Interesting, Interesting Questions. I am a rabbi with ordination from Yeshiva University and a doctorate in education. I have a medical degree with specialization in general and addiction psychiatry. In this podcast, we will seek to take different questions that come up in the Torah and evaluate them from a psychological standpoint as well as a religious standpoint. Please note that in many of these situations, we will be looking at things that may be viewed as controversial. It is specifically to bring about questions that many people have had and bring in to light different levels of evaluation and it'll get people to think about things in a different way. So we're beginning Parshat Bihar, and right in the beginning, we go to the laws of Shemitah and the laws of Yovel and Avi. So never minding the fact of what Shemitah means to us now in the year 2022, the Hebrew year... So, but when the Torah was given, it was given, right, to a group of individuals who were destined to wander the wilderness and not make it into Eretz Yisrael. So, let's start with, this isn't necessarily even relevant to the people it was given to, let alone to us today, which I hope you'll talk about both, because that's a rarity. So the answer is maybe. Not maybe I'll talk about it, but maybe it was relevant to them and maybe it wasn't. Um, we've talked about the idea of in muktamu muhar b'Torah, that the Torah may, may be organized in a way that isn't 100% chronological before. Um, and so it's possible that the halachot, the laws, dealing with many different things that all fall under this idea of you should be holy and here's what life should be like for you, were put together, even if it would be relevant later, or that they were put together in the Torah here, even if they were given to the Jewish people later, and so... And then we continue with our story in a few weeks when we reach Bamidbar. So that's one option. The other option is that when people are, are heading towards a goal, right, one of the things they want most is information. They want to know as much as possible about it. And so to give them information about this is what the land is going to be like when you're there. This is what you're going to do. This is what it's going to be like. These are the things that may make them look forward to it and feel more comfortable with it. That's in the time of the Torah. Now let's talk more about what happens today. We happen to be in a year of Shemitah right now. And I was lucky enough to be able to go and spend some time in Israel and I'll be going back. And it's truly an amazing thing to be able to go and drive through the land of Israel and you see places where there are giant signs that say, 
Here we are keeping Shemitah in this particular field. And there are fields where you can walk into the field and take from the fruit because that's what Shemitah means. It means that that year the land did not belong to the owner of the field. The land belongs to Hashem and Hashem says anyone can take from it. Anybody who wants it, anybody who needs it. Now, in order to still have produce and in order to still be able to uh, continue with business um, in a non-agricultural or non-primarily agricultural society like we have today, the rabbis came up with a couple of different ways to manage this, right? So one of them is heter mechira, a, a permission where the land could be sold to a non-Jew, and therefore the non-Jew owes, owns the land, and um, the Jew is just working the land for the non-Jew. There are many people who have difficulty with this because there is a law against, there's a halacha against selling the land of Israel to people who are not Jewish. And so how can you do this even for a short period of time? Uh, although our rabbis have said, our more recent rabbis have said that this is a possibility, and so some rely on that. There is also those who say, no, we are only going to purchase fruits and vegetables from either inside the land of Israel and treat them with the sanctity that uh, Shemitah requires. And that can be very challenging because it means that the entirety of the fruit or the entirety of the vegetable actually has a level of Kedusha to it. So if you were, I don't know, let's take carrots, for instance. If you were to chop off the top of the carrot, right, the green stalk that we don't usually eat, right, you actually have to treat that part with Kedusha. You can't just throw it in the trash. You actually have to wrap it up, and some people double wrap it, and it has to go someplace until it has spoiled to the point where it is inedible, and then you can remove it. Um, others deal with Shemitah by saying they are only going to to purchase produce from outside of the land of Israel that's been imported in. And that can become both expensive and seems to be counterintuitive because now you are not supporting those who are growing food in the land of Israel. Um, I should mention, because I forgot before to mention, that those who are keeping Shemitah in the land of Israel may collect the produce in their own uh, fields. They're not allowed to fertilized, they're not allowed to plant, but if it is something that grows there, they're allowed to collect it and sell it, and they're allowed to charge for their services of collecting and their transportation fees. So they are allowed to, to use that, but obviously it, it often doesn't have the same yield that one would have in a year when it is, um, when it is being tended to regularly. Um, and so the Torah tells us that if you keep Shemitah, you will be taken care of by Hashem. Um, and there is a, a great story of, of a farmer who recently was here in Boca. Um, she and her family are farmers in, in the land of Israel, and they decided to keep all of the halachot of Shemitah, uh, even if it was difficult and they weren't quite sure how they were going to make ends meet. And she said one day, shortly after Shemitah had begun, this is actually the previous Shemitah, um, there was a knock on her door, and there were some seminary girls there 
who asked for a bracha, because it tells us in the Torah that a, a farmer who is keeping the halachot of Shemitah has a, a, the ability to give a, a very powerful bracha. And so they were looking for a bracha. They were all looking to get married. And so she gave them this bracha. And sure enough, within three months, each of them had found her proper shiduch. And so they spread the word. And other girls now started coming and seminaries started coming and people came. And so she began a business in that year of Shemitah of giving tours of the farm and of giving out these brachot and of telling their story. Um, and through those, those tours, which she charged for, she was able to continue bringing income in for her family over the course of the year. Um, and so sure enough, Hashem finds ways for us to continue to support ourselves even through Shemitah. One of the things the Parsha talks about is that if your brother becomes impoverished and he has no means, it says whether he is a convert, whether he is born a Jew, whatever the case may be, we have a responsibility to prevent him from going into poverty. Why does the Torah have to tell us this? I think that um, when we're considering, again, some of the some of the what we see other societies doing. I think this is one of those, again, examples of the Torah clearly laying out, you may think that this is important. However, there are boundaries, expectations, and rules. And, you know, it's very interesting to me because, right, the the rabbis have gone on to discuss what does it mean to take care of? How much can you take care of? How much is too much? And we talked about this before about with tzedakah where how much is, is not okay because it puts you in harm's way. But I think that ultimately the message that was trying to be portrayed is very clear in many ways, one of which is we have a responsibility to take care of each other and whether they are... W- however we want to look at them, right? So, so there's, there's many examples in the Torah and within our halachot in general, which say whether someone has converted or whether somebody is of uh, entry through birth, that they are to be treated the same. And why is it so important that we have so many examples of this? Well, quite frankly, because last Parsha, we just had an example of when the Torah lays out, well, this is the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father. One could say that that right there is a contradiction of talking about, well, is that somebody who we would look at and say they are born into, and yet it points it out. So I think that juxtaposition is even more important now to say whether they are this or that or what is this or whatever the case may be, you are responsible for ensuring that your entire kahila, your entire community 
is treated like a community. And it's of such significant value, especially when we think about, again, the, the, the individuals who this is being given to are either, as, we just, as you just mentioned earlier, they're either people who have grown up as slaves in Mitzrayim, which means they may or may not be able to adequately function as a community, or they're the children and grandchildren of a group of people that were slaves in Mitzrayim, which again affects how one looks at their society. And so I think a lot of these rules are very clear boundaries and expectations of what a community what a kahila, what a family, so to speak, does for each other. And that's the language that's used, brother. And I think that ties in well to the next section of the Parsha that talks about if one has a Jewish slave and how one needs to treat someone who is a Jewish slave. Um, the idea that you too were a slave in Egypt and that if this is if this slavery of your brother is supposed to be either to make up right for a a you know basically there are only two reasons someone would go into to own a Jewish slave one was if that person had so had stolen something and couldn't afford to pay it back which again means that they were poor and so they were stealing because they couldn't afford things or they couldn't afford anything, and, and this was a form of finding a way to find a place to live and to get food, was to put themselves into uh, indenture to somebody else. And so the way we treat them is critical. Absolutely. Avi, I think that it bears discussing, as, as you mentioned to, to me about the uh, last two ideas in this Parsha, which are don't have, don't idol worship and keep Shabbat. And you comment how it doesn't fit. It, it doesn't make sense. Why are these here? And I think it bears, as we're reading, as you, as we're reading the Ramban, uh, and and his explanation, I, I think it bears a discussion about faith, because, really, the the entire piece of Shemitah and Yovel is about faith. Have faith that it'll be okay. Uh, you're not going to plant anything. You're not going to tend to the field, but don't worry, I'll take care of you. And that's faith-based. And then don't worship idols. Again, we've talked multiple times before about that need for something tangible, something to, to see, to look at, to feel, to know is real. Well, idol worship is that. So if we take that away, then we have this faith. You have faith in something that you've never seen and you've never heard, um, well, later at least, for sure. And 
just believe and keep Shabbat, which again, essentially is in many societies where you would work seven days and seven days, if you didn't work seven days, you were not successful, you were not able to achieve. And we know now, of course, that rest is important and rejuvenation is important, but that's a relatively new concept. And even still, today, we question whether, well, is Shabbat really restful? Is it rest from work, but we're still engaged in our Avodat Hashem? So is that perhaps not rest in the sense of kicking back on the couch and, you know, watching the television or reading a good book. So, so I think there's a lot of faith pieces to this. And I've kind of spilled out my, my areas of, of thought on faith. And I'd love to hear for you to speak a little bit more because that's the, as, as the psychiatrist of the two of us, that's the only explanation that I can come up with. So, I think you've definitely hit upon a major concept here in the idea of faith. Um, I think that these psukim deal with three very critical components, right? Which are person, place, and time. Um, person or entity, right, being God. That we don't worship a, a physical being, and that's different than any place else, right? The, pl- uh, the place, right, it talks about um, you shall observe my sanctuary, meaning that we have places that are holy. Um, sometimes those places were the Beit HaMikdash. Sometimes those places are our synagogues. Sometimes those places are our homes. But we have places that are holy. And we have time that is holy, whether it is Shabbat, whether it is Chagim, right, whether it is the time that we sit and study Torah. So the idea that there is a person, place, and time, all of which are holy, each of which require us to commit ourselves to them, is an important component of faith as well. And so I think the fact that this Parsha ends on that, even though here we have two psukim that would seem to work well into the next Parsha, um, maybe making a bold statement by our rabbis connected to the Parsha that it is completing. question for this week's Parsha is that Shemitah and Yovel, the, the year where the land rests and the Jubilee year, require a tremendous amount of faith in God. In what ways do you take a moment to show your faith in God and put your life or your livelihood in God's hands. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.
So, Akiva, we have this really nice sentiment here in Parshish Bahar that it says, right, if your brother becomes impoverished and his means falter in your proximity, you shall strengthen him, right? And it doesn't matter whether he's a convert or a resident or somebody else, right? There's one law for everybody, and that we have a responsibility to care for each other. And yet, this might seem to go against our basic nature, to look out for number one. Otherwise, why would the Torah need to tell us this? Can you enlighten us on that? I think you just did. I think you kind of suggested the 